Well, good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online today. Today we're in chapter 12 of Hebrews in our Connecting the Dots of Faith series. And in Hebrews 12, you heard a phrase that I preached on earlier in this series, Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because Jesus the pioneer went first. He broke ground for us through death into new life. And because he went first and perfected what we could not, We can know and trust that his saving grace will also see us through. I was at Mount Carmel last week with a group from church, and the Bible teacher shared an image that rolling through life, it's like we're in the caboose of a really long train, and we see the engine go into a dark tunnel where it looks like rocks have been falling on the track, and we're afraid it's going to derail the train, which isn't good for us since we're connected. So we immediately radio up to the engineer to see what's to be done. Should we disconnect from the train? And instead we hear, don't worry, I'm already out of the tunnel. The rocks are knocked out of your path. And just like that, how, do you, how you feel about this journey changes. Because since you know the engine made it, and because you are connected, you can trust, though, even though it might seem dark and scary now, you're going to see the other side. Knowing that by faith, by baptism, we have been connected to Jesus' resurrection life, to the current and ongoing life of Jesus, who's already entered into resurrection life. That gives us confidence. Since our lives are connected to his, we can trust that his power will pull us through, no matter how dark our path might look to us right now. Jesus is our hope and our peace. He is the way and the truth and the life. And the end of this chapter, chapter 12 in Hebrews today, gives us a glimpse of that, reminding us that at one time people viewed God's holy mountain with terror and fear, knowing that his holiness is unreachable to us. But now Jesus has transformed that landscape for us. Now in Christ, this is what we look forward to from Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. In Jesus, we have a joyful future. And we could stop right there, and that good news would be more than enough. But the good news keeps on getting better. Because when you know that, when you know that your life is connected to Jesus' life and victory now and forever... What does that mean for your life today? It means you don't need to spend your tunnel time fretting about the dark. Since you don't have to be worried about driving the train, you can just lift your head and take a look around you. Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus has done the saving work for us. Jesus is greater than anything we could ever put our hope in. He is the builder. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the savior. He is the new covenant. He is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So then, who are you in this story? Well, chapter 11 last week started to flesh that out for us, that every generation is part of the race of faith, and their chapter matters to the people who follow them as we trust together, as we look to the promises of God to come, that your life, your chapter in the greater story matters because you matter to God and because who you are and who you will be matters to the impact of the world. You have your own leg of the race of faith 
to run, beloved. And that's where Hebrews 12 actually starts. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So in short, if Jesus is in charge of the saving you part of this story, what he calls you to cooperate in with him is the developing you part of this story. And it's not a small part of the story because the gifts you have, the people in your life are all important to the bigger story of God's love for you and for the world around you. When God created the world, he gave it to us to be stewards of all that he created and created good. And part of that is developing it to all the potential of what it can be. Have you ever considered how amazing it is that things that go wrong on this earth can often be healed with other things found on the earth, often through discovery and development of human beings applying their gifts? Why should it be that an illness that pops up in North America can have a cure developed from something growing in the rainforest? Isn't that amazing? It's like a worldwide scavenger hunt of potential, all built into life from the very beginning. Cures and treatments and inventions by human beings who were formed in the image of God, using their curiosity and ingenuity to discover what they didn't even know they were looking for at the time, tapping into God's original, it is good, of creation for the good and the healing of what's gone wrong. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That sometimes the stewardship of the earth is about finding the potential that God has placed within it. And sometimes the stewardship of the earth is in knowing when it needs times of rest and protection in order to heal and grow stronger. It's why a farmer rotates fields to remain fallow while others are used to produce. To be fruitful in years to come, sometimes a field needs time not to produce. So good stewardship requires an intimate knowledge of what it is that you're trying to steward. To be able to know when to push forward and when to rest. And the same is true for the stewardship of you. Just as God created this earth with potential waiting to be revealed, in the same way he created you with vast potential waiting to be discovered and realized. But part of the gift is that he invites you to be part of the unearthing, the discovering and stewarding of the gift of you while in relationship with him. So how do we do this? How do we run the race of faith well in this life? Well, if any of you have ever tried running, you know that it takes a while to build up the stamina, the lung capacity, the muscles to be able to run well, and even longer to grow to enjoy and even crave going out for a run. So if what we want is not only to run well, our leg of the race of faith, but also find joy and satisfaction in it, how do we develop the spiritual muscle that that takes? You're not going to like the answer. <laughs> Because nobody does. <laughs> because it's not a magic bullet. It's not a quick fix. It's not 10 easy steps. Unfortunately, the only path to developing spiritual muscle is a lot like the path to regular old earthly muscle. Discipline. Groan. <laughs> Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who have been trained by it. So I want to be clear, this is not about your salvation. That is Jesus' free gift. You have been set free. This is about what that freedom is for in your life right now. What do you do with that freedom? Who is it that you have been saved to be? People often think of freedom as the absence of all restraints, but wisdom uses freedom to choose which boundaries will help one grow and the direction that produces righteousness and peace in our lives. As the Apostle Paul says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Discipline is the practice of intentionally choosing what you know is good for you and for others over what's easiest. Because what you want most is to develop your character and your life in a chosen direction. And there are two different kinds of discipline, external and internal. External is when someone other than you is drawing your attention to something in you that could benefit from a change. Nobody really likes being disciplined by someone else. <laughs> it takes a lot of humility to receive that positively. So think of this as receiving your instruction from a personal trainer from someone who is committed to the development of what is best in you. And the second kind of discipline is the one that you adopt for yourself. When you have in mind the kind of goal, the kind of changes that you would like to see happen in your life, and you're willing to course correct to help your path lead in that direction. So starting with the first kind of discipline, external discipline, I think the author of Hebrews actually starts off pretty harsh, a little bit like a drill sergeant. Jesus went through torture and death to give you the free gift of your salvation. Remember that? Then he says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Implied. So quit your whining, you babies. Right? <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> so if your personality is motivated by that, more power to you. But I have to say, I'm more drawn to the approach taken in the next few verses which reminds us that a loving father disciplines his children when they go off the rails because he wants a good life course for them. He sees danger or hardship ahead in whatever path that they're taking, so he rebukes, he chastises, he redirects because he loves his child. If he didn't care, he wouldn't bother. So the Lord is like our personal trainer, our life coach, who sees things in us that we ourselves tend to miss, and if we will listen, he will convict and redirect us toward that which will bring us peace and right relationship with himself and each other as we grow to know him more in this world. So when you feel convicted by something you read in God's word or something you're doing doesn't feel like the path God wants for you, know that convicting is not condemnation. It's redirection. And redirection is a sign of care, concern, and love. It's meant for your good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So feeling the burn is good. And even if you don't know this in your spiritual realm, you've probably experienced it in the physical one. When you're working out your muscles, trying to build strength, after a while you start feeling the burn, right? And what's happening is acid is building up in the muscles. And with the strain of use, little tiny microscopic tears are being formed in the muscles. And that sounds terrible, but it's actually a necessary step 
and strength building. And these microscopic tears are different than actually tearing the muscle tissue by overtraining or straining too hard, which does not lead to growth. You want to be able to feel it, but stop before you hit actual pain. More is not better at this point. And after you work out, when your muscles feel sore, this is not the time to keep pushing, but to intentionally steward your muscles in rest. And Nick Hudson, trainer in our congregation who's sitting over there, <laughs> actually told me that when you're sore, it's like a warning sign. It's like construction tape around a work site. Do not enter because there's something happening here. Rebuilding is in progress. In that time of rest, after working out, new connections are being formed in the muscles. And that happens when you stop working. That's also a necessary part of the strength-building process. And as is true for our physical muscles, to experience a tearing, feeling the burn, before being rebuilt stronger is also often true in our spiritual growing. And Jesus talks about this in his own relationship with God in, in John 15, God the Father. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So think about this. Jesus is without sin, remember? And yet on this earth, there were things in his life that did not bear spiritual fruit. So obviously, unfruitful things are not bad. They're just unfruitful, not the best use of our time and energy. And God the Father, as the master gardener of the development of human beings, cut off those branches in Jesus that bore no fruit and pruned the ones that did. And because Jesus was always connected to God the Father, this course redirection was constantly happening in Jesus. And when I think about what might be an example of this, I think of the story from Mark 1, where Jesus had just spent a night in, in a town healing many people and setting them free from demonic powers. And after that push of energy, the next morning he found a quiet place to be alone and pray. And when the disciples got pressure to produce Jesus for the people, they went to find him and told him, everyone's looking for you. Basically, it's showtime. <laughs> and Jesus responded, let's go somewhere else so I can preach there also because this is why I've come. You see, in his time of rest and connection with his father, God told him, that one's done. Move on. Why is that so hard for us? We always tend to see the endings of things so personally, don't we? We think it means our failure or disfavor. But as we can clearly see in Jesus, God's pruning is not a sign of disfavor. It's redirection because another good thing needs your attention. And knowing us as well as he does, Jesus immediately moves from this talk of pruning to address this, seemingly out of nowhere. In the very next verse, verse 3, he says, You are already clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you. Well, who thought this had anything to do with us being unclean or somehow wrong? We all did, didn't we? Jesus is assuring us that he is the one, his word spoken over us, that makes us clean. So we need to give up thinking that we're made clean whenever we've chosen the right path for our lives ourselves without having to bother God about it. <laughs> because God being all about it 
God being involved in it is actually the point. If we're not bothering God about it, if we're not letting God bother us about it, it's not going to grow anything anyway, which Jesus reiterates in the next verse, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Discipline, discipleship is all about allowing God to help us with our daily course corrections, with the daily little pruning cuts that help us grow fruitful in a Christ-like direction. And although we don't love to hear it, often in our lives something needs to end before something else can begin. And developing our own goals, our spiritual disciplines, is often beneficial for us as we seek to grow in the direction we already know we'd like to grow. But unless our times of trying our muscles, of pushing forward on our own power and ingenuity are not regularly followed by times of prayer and rest, listening to God's course correction, unless we are allowing God to be our personal trainer, we might end up building muscles that leave us a little lopsided in life. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you to know when it's time to push forward and try and fail and seek and discover, to push your spiritual muscles until you feel the burn. And then when you do, stop and listen. Let the Lord show you what you need to let go of, when you need to rest. Let him rebuild connections with him through what's hurting and what's sore in you because he knows you better than you could ever know. And I want to share one sweet example I heard of this this week. A good friend of mine was visiting with her nephew, who is exceptionally bright but has issues with reading. It's so frustrating to him to be able to do so many things well but to wrestle with this one thing. And every day he's supposed to do one chapter of a workbook to build up his reading, but he's so intimidated by it that he immediately falls into this loop crying out, I can't do it! I can't do it! I can't do it! And he spends hours fighting before he finally completes the chapter and can finally move on to something else. But my friend could see what he could not. She knew it was hard for him, but he could do it. He did it every day. But he was letting his fear and his frustration hold him back, keep him from accomplishing this. And so she introduced a new discipline into his life. Every time he started to cry out, I can't do it, I can't do it, she wrapped her arms around him and half sat on him, because she's kind of little, and she tickled him until he started to giggle. While she spoke over him over and over again, my name is Bailey, and I can do anything I set my mind to. My name is Bailey, and I can do anything I set my mind to. My name is Bailey, and I can do anything I set my mind to. And she spoke it over and over over him until he finally said it along with her. And then when he finally did, she let him go. And together they tackled the chapter. And then they went swimming. <laughs> this too is part of discipline, of discipleship, beloved. Learning to hear the wisdom of the loving pruning of our Father God. Cut out that thinking that's not who you are. This is who you are. I know you. I know your name. And you're going to feel the burn until you let me cut out those false narratives and create new connections between us. 
What does the Lord want to prune in you to make your life more fruitful? Because it's when we take the steps to exercise our faith, when we strive to grow in our relationship with God, that we discover those places where we start to feel the burn. And that signal is that something is being formed in us. And when we hit those places, it's time to stop and consult our personal trainer. When we notice that burn, it helps us realize where God's construction zone of pruning and redirecting is taking place in us. And that's when we need to receive from him the rest of his grace, his forgiveness, that will help those new, stronger spiritual muscles form in us. But strength building, like discipleship, is not something that's done in a day. It's a daily race that we run. And lest we get discouraged, the end of Hebrews 12 reminds us of who ran this race for us first and that he does not leave us to run it alone. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably in reverence and in awe. So today, as you look to the past for the encouragement of those who have gone before you in faith, as you look to the future that Jesus' saving love has secured for you, may you be strengthened here and now to run the race before you. Don't be afraid when you feel the burn. Steward your growth and rest. Lean into the wisdom of your personal trainer, your master gardener, and know that you are under construction. Spiritual strengthening is in progress. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you know us so well. We pray in this new season as we think about what it is that you want to grow in us and through us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not be afraid uh, to enter those seasons where uh, we need pruning. Help us to receive your redirection, redirection in our lives as what it is, love and care concern, and joy. Help us, Lord, to seek your voice, to seek your leading and guiding, because we know that you want for us the good paths in our lives. Lord, help us to listen to your voice, to let go of the things we need to let go of, to embrace the opportunities that are in front of us. Help us, Lord, to continue to find joy in discovering and revealing all of those things that you have placed in our lives, but to lean into you to know the when and the how and the where. And all these things we pray in Jesus' priceless and precious name. Amen.